This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome to another episode. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. And I'm Landon. Today, we are super excited because we will be talking about sumo. We had a lot of sources for this episode, as always. One of them was the Traditions book. And in case you don't listen a lot, that book is called Martial Arts Tradition, History, and People by Corcoran and Farkas. We love that book, right? Us, we use it a lot. Yes, we do. And I saw it on Thrift Books. Wow, that's cool. You know what I want to say real quick? This is our third episode on wrestling. Wow. And this started out as a trilogy, but we're actually going to have at least one more, possibly two more episodes on wrestling, hopefully by the end of the year. A five G. <laughs> That's what I was trying to name it. And I couldn't come up with a name. Something about a five penny kept coming into my head. <laughs> a nickel. It's a nickel's worth. <laughs> anyway, back to the sources, right? Yes. We used the JapaneseWay.com, InsideJapanTours.com. Hmm. I like this one. Japanistry.com. How cool is that? Great word. RiversideCorporateWellness.com. All right. You're pushing it here, Sensei. I am. And of course, our favorite friend, Wikipedia. Start us out, Mr. Landon, please. Us. So I want to share something very interesting that some of you may know. Sumo was originally known as Sumai, and the word means struggle. And I read that it found its beginning in a Shinto ritual dance where powerful men displayed their strength in front of the kami, or gods, a sign of respect. That's right. And after that, it became a mano-a-mano fight. Hand to hand. Uh One-on-one, dude. That's it. But I'm going to keep it going with this story. In uh, 23 BC, combat sumai began on a beach at Laomo, which is in the Shimane prefecture. That's what they say, right? That's what they say. It seems there was a battle between two men. Surprise. Tajima no... <laughs> Sorry, don't say it yet. <laughs> that was funny. I know you didn't mean it as funny as it came out. Okay. Tajima no Kahaya and Nomi no Sukune. It was a fierce fight, but Sukune defeated Kahaya, fracturing his ribs with a kick, knocking him to the ground, and crushing his hip bone. Ooh. That a- does not sound fun. No. Ooh. Allegedly, Kahaya died from these injuries, and that led to sumo becoming a form of military training and eventually being known as sumo. Wow. Wow. Right? That story is terrible. That is just, wow. But I'm going to push us on to 1570 of the Common Era, where sumo becomes a comprehensive form of combat, which was similar to Mongolian wrestling. And by the Edo period which we all know is the most well-known of all of the historical periods that we talk about. In Japan, that is absolutely true. Correct. Also known as the Tokugawa period. But by then, professional wrestling began to emerge. Yes, that's true. The Edo period was the 1600s to the 1800s. But I want to jump back to the year 1570, because that was when the doyo, the Japanese word for the fighting ring, was established. That same year, they also modified certain rules, adding a ranking system, defining techniques, and assuring that all matches had wrestlers, referees, and judges. That was cool. Before we start talking about the ring itself, let's tell the audience that we are in yet another thunderstorm day. Yes, we are, Sensei, for sure. You can hear it right there. 
So if we get some background thunder, we're just going to take it as a great sumo sign. Us. All right. The sumo gods are with us. <laughs> Kami, I think was his name. But what about the ring, Sensei Jackie? Well, the size of the ring is based on an old tradition of using 16 rice bales to make a diameter of approximately 15 feet. The floor is clay and it's covered with sand. And there are some pretty strong pre-fight rituals. These rituals include the introductions of the wrestlers and an ancient ceremony of purification and preparation of the doyo and a prayer for the safety of the competitors. That's right. And what's cool is that each pre-bout ceremony is certainly unique. It is said that some people like the pre-bout ceremony more than the match itself. Which we would. Us. We would love the pre-bout ceremony. Definitely. Okay. Ceremonies include the placing of salt, cleansed rice, dried chestnuts, dried kelp, dried cuttlefish, and nutmeg berry in a small hole made in the middle of the ring as an offering to the gods. And even the introduction of the wrestlers is orchestrated. One fighter enters from the east, he enters first, and then a fighter enters from the west. I didn't see why the east fighter enters first. Did you guys happen to see that? I didn't see anything definitive about why, but I'm not surprised east is usually the sunrise or the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Sensei Jackie, and I'll keep it going. Each wrestler has a ritualistic routine that serves as both a warm-up and a sign to the gods. The routine is called Shiko and involves leg raising, stomping, clapping of the hands, and slapping themselves. The leg stomping also crushes any lingering leftover spirits. They also raise their arms to the sky to show that they're not carrying weapons. I'm just saying that I don't know why they need to raise their arms in the air to show they're not having any weapons because there's not a lot of places in that outfit to hide weapons, right? No, and we will be talking about the uh, the outfits. The outfit, if you want to call it that. Which we should not. (laughs) It's true. They wear a silken loincloth, and it's called a mawashi. It's wrapped around their waist four to seven times. The mawashi is about two feet wide and is made of at least six folds of heavy silk. Now, for the high level of fighters, they get beautiful colors of their choice. But unfortunately for the lower ranking fighters, they get a cotton mawashi and the color of it is always dark. And I think that's really interesting because in karate, most colored belts are green and purple are in the beginning. That's true. But then again, they were not passed through the ages. They're relatively new. That's true. That's a relatively new thing rank. Us. Because the in karate, the way it was, was you got a belt and it turned black with time with dirt and then back to white again in time as the cloth faded away. Us. And the way the um, the belts go in our style of karate, they do go from light to dark. That's true. So you're working your way toward the darker. But I want to get back to the mawashi, okay? Us. I found an awesome video on YouTube and I completely recommend that you watch it about how to tie the mawashi. It was really interesting. Did you check it out at all? I did. I watched it. And I was fascinated by the tone of voice of the narrator. It was plain. This is what you do. This is how you do it. And the two men who were tying the mawashi were, one was the model, one held the other end of it. Just so fascinating to watch them. It seems to me that it would always be a two-man job because it's yards and yards of material. 
That's for right. Us. Also, my video segued to a video on how the mawasha is actually made and the company that makes them. It was really, really wild. I just, I can't even begin to explain the folding and the measuring. It, it was beautiful. It gave me a new outlook on the mawashi. Huh. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting. But we need to get on with the match, don't we? Us, and I'll start us off with some rules. They're pretty simple. Victory goes to the person who forces the opponent out of the ring or forcing him to touch the floor within the boundaries of the ring with any part of his body above the knee. True. But did you guys know that there are about 200 different movements based on 32 key techniques to get that job done? Isn't that an amazing amount of techniques? And if people are interested in any of them, they they can look it up. Here's three of the attacks, though. One is pushing the hands only. It's called the tsuki. And then there's pushing with the body. That's known as oshi. And finally, there is clinching called yori. But remember, there's a lot more to know about the techniques than just the three words we're using. I agree with you there. And we found a page in the traditions book with some drawings of the different techniques. I hope we can post that on Twitter. Us, we will definitely look into it. Thanks. And I'll keep us going about the actual fight. Fighters start in a squatting position with their toes on a certain mark and bodies resting on their heels. As the match begins, they shift to the low position of readiness with feet and fists on the ground. This is called shikuri. From here, they want to launch various attacks using weight, strength, suppleness, and strategy in whatever measure they are capable of. Now, sumo techniques can be divided into two groups. Those with limited body contact, such as slapping, sidestepping, leg sweeps, and leg holds and those with extended or full body contact, like head throws, arm throws, and hip throws. But here's the interesting thing about a throw. The person being thrown has to touch the floor before the guy doing the throwing, or it doesn't count. So what you're saying is no using the judo move that we use in our style called tomonagi, where essentially you lay down and throw this guy over your head. Us. Right? Using your foot. That's right. So, you know what I'm thinking? Two big men, 15 feet, if they did try that, they could conceivably throw them right out of the ring, right? That's That's true. That is true. Just roll them right out. Wow. Okay, let's talk about the judges. Boy, there's a lot of parts to this that I never realized. You think? Jeez. There's one referee. He's known as the Gyoji and five judges. The referee wears a kimono and carries a fan. And I love this part. The tassel on his fan signifies the referee's rank. That is really cool information. Now, here's another piece of trivia. When the grand champion enters, he has a sword bearer with him. This is the symbol of the military beginnings of the sport. I saw that. And here's another nod back to the days of combat sumo, the hairstyles. An example is the top knot. I also read that the fancier the hairstyle, the higher the rank of the fighter. And the hairstylists have rank among themselves. Only the highest ranking hairstylist can work on the top knot of the uh, highest ranking sumo practitioner. Also, at those high ranks, the hairstyle can be the top knot, but it can also be folded over the forehead of the practitioner in the shape of the ginkgo leaf. Wow, that's wild. I watched a few matches online. Did any of you guys watch any matches? 
I saw some pictures, but I didn't watch any matches. Well, I didn't watch them online, but as an elementary school student, I lived in Japan with my Air Force father, and we watched sumo matches on television. And it was um, very different for a, a young American girl to watch that kind of pushing and rolling. And, and it was just odd until I was there for a while and it became as normal as anything else. That sounds awesome. I think pulling one up on YouTube, totally worth our listeners' time. I think so, too. Agreed. I, so I have a couple more things before we push on, okay? Us. Us. I looked on Wikipedia, and I saw that sumo training halls are gaining popularity in the U.S. Cool, right? Very. Us. They say that in 2007, there was a U.S. sumo open with an audience of 3,000 people. Wow. Pretty amazing to me. And before we move on, I have something to add. Go for it. In the traditions book, they say that a tournament winner gets the Emperor's Cup and the championship flag. The Emperor's Cup is made of pure silver. It is also said that there are lesser prizes given out. Wow, pure silver. That's amazing. So I wonder where we were. Oh, yeah, I've got it. We were at the wrestlers. Start this one out for me, please, Sensei Jackie. I'll be glad to. Sumo wrestlers are called rikishi and they're selected for their size. Since there's no weight limits in sumo, it's possible for a wrestler to be pitted against a man twice his size. Therefore, Rikishi trained to become, and I quote here, gargantuan. Yikes. And I don't want to get too much into the Japanese terminology or will get bogged down, but I do want to mention that there is a definite ranking system, and it has some unique characteristics. Us. The Rikishi are divided into six divisions. The highest one is called Maku Uchi. And even the Maku Uchi is divided into more categories. The Yokozuna is the grand champion, and you only get that ranking by winning two major tournaments in a row. Us. The tournaments are called Honbasho, and there are six a year, once every other month. Tournaments last for, get this, 15 days. And they were Kishi in the top two divisions fight every day of the tournament. That's wow. a lot of fights, right? Yes. And as of 2015, only 71 people had earned the title of Yokosuna, which shows how hard it is to get there. Us. But listen to this. After each tournament, the rankings are revised, and you can be promoted or demoted unless you're a Yokozuna, and then you can't be demoted. Wow. Can you imagine being demoted after a competition? Wow. What a bummer, right? I don't think we've gone overboard with too much information for the audience. Do you guys? No, because this is such an interesting and rank-filled sport or art, depending on how you look at it. And like it or not, there is a little bit more. <laughs> wow. So here's how we're going to take this one home. You know we can't go to the internet without finding weird and wonderful trivia, correct? That's, That's just our new podcast. And I think, Sensei Jackie, you're going to start us out. Am I right? I am. I'm going to start with an American wrestler named Yamato Go. He is from Hawaii and was born in 1969. He stands six foot two inches and last weighed in at 406 pounds. Wow. He yeah. retired in 1998. According to Google, he is still alive in retirement. Wow. And I have a wrestler that is the smallest. That's cool. Us. He started in 2017 and was less than 200 pounds when he started. Now he's up to only 216 pounds. He relies on throws and leverage to move guys over two times his weight. 
he's reached the rank where he can wear the silk mawashi. In addition, his fights are totally worth 10 minutes on YouTube. When I saw him, he was wearing a red mawashi. I saw him, and he was impressive. I honestly, I did not write down his name, so sorry about that, but he was impressive. You can't miss him. But we're moving on. I found a list of really weird questions about sumo wrestling. So let's pick a few of them and say what the answers are. I'm going to start with one that seems like we already answered it, but stay with me here. Okay, we got you. Are there weight divisions? Ready for the answer? Yes. No. So being heavier is seen as an advantage and wrestlers will try to get as big as they can. But an interesting subset to that is the fat that they get on their body is what is called subcutaneous fat, meaning it's under the skin, not visceral, which is less healthy. Us, Landon. That's a great way to segue to my question. What do sumo wrestlers eat? Have you ever thought about it? Because I have. I have probably thought about it. Okay, here's an answer that we found, and get this, in GQ magazine, (laughs) they did an article called The Real Life Diet of a World Champion Sumo Wrestler. Wow. Yes, and the man in the article is named Bayambajav Ulambayar, and he weighed 360 pounds. He's from Mongolia. Here's his food routine. Morning starts with a grueling five-hour workout with no breakfast because food wouldn't stay down in those conditions. The workout includes pushing, shoving, and grappling. Us, and I'll finish us up with the enormous dish that is mostly associated with sumo wrestling. And that's like their first meal of the day, right? Us. It is called chenko nabi. It's a stew made of bok choy, mushrooms, and a lot of other vegetables. It includes chicken, fish, meatballs, and tofu in a dashi broth. The dinner meal is made up of mackerel and salad with udon noodles. This particular wrestler didn't indulge in sweets. And one more thing. The author said that most sumo wrestlers love beer. Okay, let's just go back to the stew. It sounds a little intense to me. Does it sound a little intense to you with the chicken and the fish and the tofu? It's a lot, right? It's uh, protein dense. It's dense. Vegetable dense, protein dense, broth dense. And I wonder if it has a lot of salt. I don't know. They didn't say that in the article. But can you imagine working out five hours first thing in the morning on an empty stomach? By the time you got to that stew, you'd be ready to eat. Us. Maybe. Okay. I have a question. Yes. Are you ready for it? Us. Can sumo wrestlers get married? And this is an easy one. They can get married, but only the top 10% actually do because at that level, they make enough money to afford to live outside of the communal housing that the lower ranking Rikishi live in. Oh. And if that's not enough, I think you have one more to take it home for me, Sensei Jackie. I do. My question is about women in sumo. Turns out there are six female sumo clubs in Japan with only one girl wrestling for every 300 boys doing it. Wow. Yeah, right? There are no professional opportunities for women in the sport, but people are trying to change that. I looked up some pictures, and they wear the mawashi over their unitard. This all came from an article called How Female Wrestlers Are Challenging the Ancient Sport of Sumo Wrestling. Wow. That ought to do it. If anyone wants to tell us their sumo stories, you can reach us all over the web at Wildcat Dojo. If you want to check out our Instagram page, it's Wildcat Dojo Conversations. And you can email us at dojoconversations at aol.
www.honorofthebeast.com. Before we uh, get out of here, we have to talk about Honor Honor Athletics, athletics, of course. And I cannot connect sumo and honor, athletics, that is. So let's just talk about how great Cynthia is in her own right. Us. She, if she were a sumo person, she would wear a red mawashi. Perfect. So how could they contact Cynthia? They could go to honorathletics.com. Or they can call her at 770-945-5150. And don't forget to say Wildcat Dojo when you check out to get your 10% discount. Thanks, Cynthia. And thanks to all of you. And on that note, you know what we forgot to mention? We don't have a guest today. We don't. We were all alone. Wah, wah, wah. But we had Lance back. It was very fun. I loved learning and talking about sumo. And we will try to have a guest for you all next time we come on. Yes, I won't be here for the next few weeks. Oh, yeah. So we're definitely going to have some guests coming. That's right. On that note, we're going to start the goodbyes. Bye, everybody. See you soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Sensei Michelle, and I'm signing out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.